Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm not feeling like myself today. No? no. Um, me neither. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I feel like the opposite of myself. I'm, I'm wearing a mask to hide my true self. Uh, Stably. Yes. God damn it. Yes, Jerry. Uh, all right, today we're going to talk about The Authenticity Hooks by Andrew Potter. Does this book have a, sub, uh, a subtitle? I don't think so. Uh, it probably does. The American uh, or the Canadian version? How We Got Lost Finding Ourselves. There we go. Why do you know, yeah. Does that help you? Like if you're browsing at a bookstore, which nobody does, does that subtitle help you? Or, or help sell the book. I don't think so. But anyhow, uh, Andrew Potter. Boy, this is going to be a good one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Andrew Potter uh, is the Canadian journalist philosopher uh, whose other books we've read. Would you say uh, he's the the WAP in-house intellectual? I would say so. Um, okay. Certainly the Jerry Picks uh, <laughs> house intellectual. Um, uh, and I think we've now read his collected works. Um, the other, the others being, uh, the rebel cell, AKA, I can never AKA remember. Nation of rebels, nation of rebels. And which he wrote before this one. And in reading this book, you learn his relationship. Well, I guess you don't learn that. I guess it's in the acknowledgments. So if you didn't read the acknowledgments, you didn't read this, but, um, Joseph Heath, who was his co-author on that book, was his um, grad school professor uh, that later, you know, who became his mentor and now like friend and co-author. Um, and so he wrote that uh, prior to this book. And then subsequent to this book, he wrote On Decline, which I think, um, and it's all, it's all part of the cycle, isn't it? They're all connected. Yeah. Yeah. Wheels within wheels. They're all variations on a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so um, this is like right up my alley. Uh, he. It's funny because I don't think uh, in, in this book, I, I, I don't think we ultimately agree, um, he and I, um, but he presses all the right buttons, all of my right buttons anyway. And so the, the book is kind of an exploration of this quest that we all, I'm sure, recognize in our contemporary world uh, for authenticity, right? That authenticity is a good thing that everybody quests for, to be authentic and to, you know, consume authentic things is good. Um, inauthenticity uh, is bad um to pretend to be authentic when one's not is hypocrisy and bad and and so it's exploration of that and how, you know why that's the case and, and then ultimately his he's making the case that there is no such thing as authenticity it's a hoax um etc so um anyhow that's the book what did you think i i liked it um yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, you know, it, 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 I don't really know how long it is because I read it on, you know, ebook form, 
but mm-hmm. uh, it really packs a lot of information. Yeah, he's yeah. like super, not in a bad way. Uh, he's not like name dropping or anything, but um, it, it looks like a you know it looks like an airport book, but it really isn't. Um, uh-huh. It's important to kind of follow along what he's saying. You can't kind of yeah, as I as I tend to do, like blank out and think about <laughs> uh, what I should look up on Wikipedia. Uh, so, uh, but nevertheless, I I really enjoyed it. I think he makes a very good case you know for his hypothesis um like you i'm not quite sure i necessarily buy it but um that could be because i'm not taking like what he says seriously enough Mm -hmm. um because i'm not sure i have like anything intelligent to say against what he says so it might be just be uh my residual you know hegelian romanticism um, (laughs) you know uh, holding me back from from taking the black pill or is it the clear pill i don't know what pill we're on uh the maple pill the maple pill the maple pill um but, but yeah it's it's great um i think it pairs very well with nation of rebels i intended mm-hmm. to reread nation of rebels before reading this but i'm i'm inordinately uh, lazy as my authentic self so i didn't right but um I'm sure you could read them. I actually I don't know. I think maybe you need a little bit of time to separate the two because so, it might get a little repetitive. So well, so he uh, so let, let me say something before I, I address the connection to Nation of Rebels. Um so I totally agree. So number one, yes, the, the, I think this book is great. I really enjoyed it. And I think you're absolutely right. It is as I like to say, I've said about other books we've discussed, it's very dense, but dense in a good way. Right, because it's just packed with concepts and concepts that you already, you know, were previously exposed to, but they're arranged in a way here that buttress the argument that he's making in a very nice way. Um, so super enjoyable. Um, so the connection to Nation of Rebels, I think, comes in the chapter uh, about um, conspicuous authenticity. I guess yes. that's the title mm-hmm. of the chapter. Yeah. And basically he says um that and he attributes this to somebody, I forget who he attributes it to, but he says that there are three stages to modern to to like the modern worldview uh that is consumerist in nation in, in, in nature. Uh, uh, here it is. As he says, over the course of the, 12th, of the 20th century, the dominant North American leisure class underwent three distinct changes, each marked by shifts in the relevant status symbols, rules for display, and advancement strategies. And so the first one was like the mid-century, the you know the mid-century one, which was keeping up with the Joneses. So it's just consumerism. Yeah, like bourgeois respectability. Or, exactly. Or like middle class, like owning a owning a boat. Right, working in a factory, um, right. you were middle class, and that's of course you'd want all those things. Right. the The second change was anti consumerist consumerism, aka the rebel cell. Right. So it became uh, cool. Became right. the you know like once everybody could was trying to keep up with the Joneses, the people on the edge who want distinction. Um, do go the anti-consumerist anti-mass route and search for cool and so like and then this is the whole thesis of that book which is um it's like a crazy uh treadmill where the people who are trying to 
um, be anti-consumers finding the edge of cool are what they're doing is, is they're creating the new mass, <laughs> the new thing for mass appeal. Um, and so then he says that the third change is basically conspicuous authenticity where it's once cool. And I think he attributes this to the internet. Um, the cool kind of fizzles out once it's exposed for what it is, which is just another way of, of, of doing conspicuous consumption. Um, the reaction to that is a search for authenticity, right? So it's not about being cool. It's about being authentic and it's about, um, return to nature and, and, uh, I'm going to have the, it, it reminds me very much of like, um, Bobo's in paradise, right? So it's, it's about, um, the, the mud floor and the, the marble. <laughs> I don't know what a mud floor is. I, this book was written like over 10 years ago, I think at this point. 15? Yeah. And yeah. some of this, some of this stuff is like, what the hell is a mud floor? <laughs> I'm, exposing, a mud I'm exposing myself as a suburbanite here. Yeah. 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 So anyhow, so it's it's basically uh, the, the conspicuous authenticity is the reaction to uh, the rebel cell, which was the subject of his last book. Yeah, it's Portlandia. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that which, was actually. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, which which is it's a, that's a great way of putting it because Portlandia is not about cool. Portlandia is about authenticity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was just thinking of uh, this is pathetic, but I was thinking of uh, Friends, the, mm -hmm. the television mm -hmm. sitcom from the nineties. Yes, you might be aware of it. Uh, and it took me a while to figure out like what on earth he was talking about in the book because he, he the three switches that you were just mentioning. It's yep. it goes from like the aristocrats, the ones that learn like Latin and yep. like saber fighting, yep. which are not really useful in any meaningful sense, but it it it's a status symbol and you can kind of pretend that it's useful. It's important to pretend that it's useful. It's yep. important. That's the whole point. Yep. Um, um, so it switches from that to because of like mass production and the mass consumer society to keeping up with the Joneses, right. kind of the, the bourgeois, like mid 20th century thing. And then it goes to cool and then cool is just no longer cool. It's very uncool and you have to be authentic. Um, and by the way, can I just say that the reason the cool stops being cool is because of the internet, essentially is what he's saying, right? Yes, the it's, the, it's the internet easy. and mass communication where it's no longer where you had to go to the record store to find in the albums and be in the know and like go to New York once a year to figure out what's it, with the internet. Everybody knows what's cool all the time. Yeah. So. Or even he said, you could even think of MTV yeah. as uh, the thing that kind of yeah. started killing. Started cool. killing it, yeah. Sorry, um, no, yeah, <laughs> and it took me a while to figure out like what what does he mean, right? right. Because uh, growing up when I grew up and, and into you know twenty twenty two, like being authentic is kind of cool, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of, but I guess that's the point. It's the one last thing remaining that's uh, you know something you can kind of look up to. It's the status. It's it's the status. Um, well, because that we have. Because it's it's yeah so it's all every, all of the above it's all about um, a status game and status yeah. games are zero sum by definition and once cool is killed because it becomes basically no longer a, a zero sum game because anybody can have there's no longer the secret indie album that only you and your friends know about and that you can look down at people who don't know about it once that's yeah. all gone. Um, you have to find new ways of having um, zero sum games, and 
you know, the, I guess that's where the mudroom comes in. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'm just thinking that um, the Friends came out in the late '90s, right? Yeah. And that that what what is her uh, Phoebe and whoever uh, David Schwimmer plays, like the the mm -hmm. the uncool guy, the dork, the scientist man. Yeah, he like runs a museum or something. He yeah. has a monkey. He has a monkey. Uh, they're not cool, but they're uh -huh. very they're very like authentic. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like they are. They are who they are. Yep. And in a lot of ways, they're like the most. Well, not to me. I don't like. <laughs> no, like I don't like. Phoebe. Sure. Phoebe's like super annoying. But they're like the most likable characters, in the entire show, especially Phoebe. Everyone else is kind of. Everybody else is putting on a mask. Is putting on a mask. They're trying to be cool in one way or another. Um, except for Phoebe and kind of David Schwimmer, whatever his character is. And it's just funny. Like you could. I mean, I'm probably making it up because everyone is making everything up when they talk about <laughs> culture and, and TV and stuff, but like you can kind of see it happening. That That's interesting. They're not like it's the I don't care that I'm not cool. That's what makes me cool. But really, what that was was authenticity. By then, they had people were already jettisoning, jettisoning <laughs> uh, like the whole idea of cool because, like you said, like the author says, it's just impossible because. Even before the internet, it's on TV right. right away. It's on the radio right away. So even like a Dorkmeister in uh, mm -hmm. Des Moines, Iowa, for example, you're going to see the same stuff uh, sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, he makes a point that like cool can only exist if there's friction. Right. Like it has to take months or even years for whatever's cool in New York or LA to filter into. Ottawa, Canada, or Des Moines, Iowa, for it to like actually remain cool. Otherwise, you're all consuming the exact same thing, and you can't uh, differentiate yourself. So, anyway, my, my my useless little anecdote. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we start from the beginning? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I guess so. The very beginning is, you know, it's all a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not cool. Um, authenticity. Um, it's been like 250 year uh, dead end. It's a mistake. Um, and he tries to explain why. Uh, and he talks about why people feel this urge for authenticity. Uh, and it's like the three pillars of the modern world, right? It's disenchantment mm -hmm. uh, from, I guess, the cosmos, uh, as he would call it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's big D disenchantment. There is. Uh, I guess like political liberalism, you would call it, mm -hmm. that allows and kind of encourages the individual to to flourish and try to discover who he or she is. And then there's the market economy, which just kind of finishes off <laughs> anything that's left, um, like any you know community, uh, personal relationships, that, those sorts of things are very hard to maintain in the face of like the free market and competition, and not just the fact of those things, but kind of the ethos that grows up around uh, market economies where it's, you know, you're kind of a loser if you don't, you know, leave your small town and move to the big city for, for riches and fame, right? So those three things combined have made people very lonely, essentially, uh, and cut off a lot of relationships they might have had with each other and with their community. Uh, so these are kind of old things that have been happening for hundreds of years. And that leads kind of directly to Rousseau. Mm -hmm. the, I don't know. Is he the hero or the villain? <laughs> uh, the, chief, I th the protagonist? 
he is and yeah. i think and i found that very interesting because I, you know yeah. I've, I've never actually read Rousseau. i've just always accepted the uh you know the wikipedia version of Rousseau that uh, you know i hear uh and especially the one that i've heard from right-wing sources um and so he uh, you know and again now i'm just hearing another mediated version of Rousseau. i'm not and let's be honest, I'm probably not going to go read <laughs> Rousseau. Um, but he makes the case of Rousseau's misunderstood um, uh, uh, that the popular conception of Rousseau is somebody who wants, who is anti-civilizational and wants to go back. Um, uh, who's a, you know, he's a primitivist and that he has this messed up idea of a noble savage, etc. Um, you know, he kind of shows, he kind of documents how that's wrong. Um, and Rousseau's point is only that um, uh, everything goes wrong once you have you know join into into society. That society is the root of all malaise because um, once you're in, once you are in a society, once you have social relations, you are by definition then having these status games that are the root of uh, uh, hypocrisy and alienation. Um, and I think he, uh, he points out that he he doesn't that doesn't mean that he wants to return to some invented past. Um, that actually Rousseau says no, you just have to deal with this present. He says that if Rousseau has any um, fault, is that Rousseau is kind of myopic, and he he never acknowledges the uh, uh, the benefits of uh, society and civilization and modernity. Um, but anyhow, that that was a, a, a I think a very useful reframing of Rousseau for me. I, I guess I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounds makes sense to me. Yeah, I also have no uh, no standing yeah. in this. <laughs> and yeah. I'm probably and I'm probably not going to go read Rousseau this weekend. So yeah, but you know, taken taken as as written, um, yeah. So the the way that human beings are supposed to deal with, I, I guess we we'll just call it alienation. Yeah. Um, because of you know the mere existence of society and civilization is uh, basically to make your what does it make your uh, make your life an art or an artwork right L live your life well like it's, art, it's right? like it's it's that basically um because of this enchantment and, and the other things right and liberalism and, uh and market economy and all that 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 whole basically because of modernity <laughs> um we've lost any sense of meaning and so it's it, there is no more, what was it, uh, nostalgia for the absolute, right? There's no more abs absolute. Mm -hmm. And so we have this gaping hole that we're trying to fill this with, with meaning. Um, and because uh, life is meaningless, uh, his point is you have to make your own meaning, right? And, uh, and I guess that's where, yeah, you have to basically invent yourself, invent your authentic self. And that's 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 essentially an art project. That's not a uh, that's not anything else. That's a creative project. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a creative act. Yeah. Um, and so you know, through various, basically, like that critique, uh, both critiques, or I guess both takeaways that people might have from Rousseau that you either have to make your life, you know, a creative uh, a creative endeavor, or you have to you know, undo society and go back to like hitting right. hitting animals with sticks. Um, generally, people on the left have seized on one 
or the other or, or both uh, mm -hmm. critiques of modern society and kind of run with it. And that's that's kind of like the germ, the genesis of the romantic turn, the romantic. Yeah, the romanticism and uh, and like the, the kind of modern quest for authenticity that's at least according to potter that's where those things that's where it comes from right and and as potter explains that the big problem with the romantic turn is that it basically um rejects objective truth for uh basically one's feelings getting a, a privileged position right like truth is more about what you feel um, because you have direct access to that yeah, exactly. And he says that Rousseau kind of turned Descartes, someone else I will not be reading, uh, <laughs> on his on his head slightly and said, it's, I feel, therefore I am, right? right. It's not, I think. Right. Um, and yeah, so um, he kind of skipped through <laughs> a lot of centuries, uh, right? And, uh, you know, arrive in the 20th century. Um, and he, uh, Potter picks like several I don't know, issues or problems or areas of life and, and shows like authenticity rearing its ugly head mm -hmm. <laughs> and being the root of all evil, essentially. Right. Um, and how, in fact, for example, like the, pol the politics chapter. In politics, yeah. Yeah, like just as an example, uh, you know, people always claim that they want someone authentic, right? They want the guy that they can have beer with. Although right. he said George Walker Bush, uh, or you know, Bush the first was mm -hmm. like somebody you would have a beer with over uh, Dukakis, and I'm like, I don't think I want to have beer with <laughs> one of those two people. Like that guy was like old school patrician. Uh, he wasn't Reagan or or, or Clinton, but whatever. Um, yeah, but he's a guy who could you could at least um, uh, have a beer with. He maybe he'd tell you uh, war stories. That's true. Yeah, every right? time he jumped out of a plane or yeah, strangled somebody when he's at the CIA. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> Right. Whereas, um, I think Dukakis. Uh, I've heard Jenna Goldberg say that Dukakis. Uh, it was reported that, like, seriously, that he, for fun, would read um, books about Swedish um, bureaucracy. I don't know. Like, yeah. So sounds cool. Sounds cool. Um, yeah. Sounds like a wap. Sounds like a wap thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so you know there is this. That's the constant refrain you hear, uh, even even today. I don't know if they say like "have a beer with," but um, well, and Sarah Palin, right? And Trump. Yeah. Trump is like the the oh, totally. I mean, this book was written before Trump. Uh, uh, BT. Um, Can you imagine this book being written after Trump? It would just be it would just be Trump. <laughs> so, counter blessings. Um, but yeah, Trump is nothing but if not authentic, right? Like it's not, and it's not about truth. It's, it is right. Yeah. Authenticity is not about truth. It's about feels. And it's about feels, and and Trump is like the quintessential. He uh, feels like pain. Yeah, but all, all of that is uh, feels pain. Uh, that's capital A of uh, the ironic capitalization because, like, these people definitely don't feel your pain, and they're definitely not authentic. Um, but anyway, like it, the point he was making in that chapter is, people think they want an authentic, you know man or woman to be their political leader but really they they don't um and they because of politics being what it is and the fact that it's really hard to like monitor this stuff 24 7 and know what's going on um, what ends up happening is anyone who's at all authentic is bound to make a slip a gaffe you know tell the yeah. truth uh, which is like the worst thing you can do in politics 
and just immediately be destroyed right. and, and crucified and driven out of politics. So what you end up getting from this, this quest for authenticity is people with like image consultants who have to fake being right. authentic because their real authentic selves is probably like most people, like kind of lame, boring, and stupid and uh, prone to saying things that are not, not good, you know, not, not things that a politician should say. So this quest for authenticity leads to people who are incredibly fake, which just creates more demand for authenticity, which leads to even more fakery yeah. uh, in this like endless like doom cycle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my interpretation. But um, I, I think that's right. Although he, he, at some point he draws a distinction between uh, authenticity and fake authenticity. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, so... I guess the, all these people have in, image consultants, but you you, you can tell them uh, how do I put it? Like uh, it's not hard to when you when you see um, John Kerry kite surfing or whatever <laughs> it was that he did. Um, I think it was hunting, right? No, no. He, uh, so yeah, he also went hunting. Um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren, having a beer with mm, her with her husband. Son. An yeah. open beer, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her husband, who surprises her by coming home. Um, anyhow, uh, so there's that fake authenticity, and then there is like the Sarah Palin, um, and you know, it, I, I think she really is that. Uh, I'm not. There's a word I don't. I can't use. Apparently, <clears throat> I'm putting up a mask here. Uh, she is the way she is, really. Um, mm -hmm. in, in some fundamental sense, her mental and state is her uh, mental state is as advertised. Yeah, and I think it's not. I think the point that, that Potter makes there is not that people. It's not so much that they like that she is unfiltered. Is that there is mood affiliation with her with with what she's unfiltered about, right? Because yes, somebody on the yeah. yeah, somebody on the left um, who uh, is a Bernie guy or some, I, I don't know if Bernie's right, but whatever. But somebody on the left, um, even though Sarah Palin's being authentic, they would not be impressed by that. They would hate her. Um, they What they want is authenticity of a specific kind. So they might like, what's his face? Fetterman, yeah. right? He's authentic, even though he's actually fake, uh, fake authentic. So he, maybe he's a good example of where there's that line because people like him because he seems like an authentic dude, but he's actually a trust fund baby. Um, so anyhow. Yeah, he's actually a five foot six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but I, I think that goes to like, some people are just bad at it as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Sarah Palin, as much as she's able to cause havoc, doesn't really have a political career right. anymore and barely had one Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. any point. Um, so, I mean, that just goes to show that, like, like it, it doesn't actually work because authentic is haphazard, crazy, and yeah, <laughs> and uh, like it is not successful in yeah. in, in politics, in, which is in sustaining power. Yeah, which is show business basically. Um, right. Whereas, like, someone like Fetterman, like, yes, it's on it's inauthentic to us, but we are not his, you know, right. target demographic. Um, yeah, um, so. I just found that I found that interesting. It was like, oh yeah, it's 
this is kind of a common, I'm not going to say trope, but it's a common um, move that he makes throughout the book is like, here's this thing that people want more authenticity in this. But the reason this is so fake looking and inauthentic is because you want authenticity in it and authenticity is not real. <laughs> so, you know, it's all very, um, as he points out somewhere else, like you need to blame the demand side, not the supply side. Like people in a free society will give you what you ask for. Right. So if there's just a lot of bad stuff out there, it's probably because a lot of people want the bad stuff that you, you know. Well, or they want something that can't be. Or they want something that can't exist. And yeah. um, so politics is just a, a really good example of that. Um, yeah. And he, <laughs> it was interesting, right? Because the, the authentic, authentic and like the fake authentic or real mm -hmm. versus fake, he points out. I mean, this was bigger, I guess, in the mid two thousands. Like authentic jeans, oh, yeah. it was like authentically distressed, but it's a capital A authentic. Right. And, and he he points out that like most people understand that it's not really, it it's not worn by like a minor. Mm -hmm. Like these Levi's are not worn by like a Japanese uh, construction worker. <laughs> uh, they're just like pounded with rocks in a factory to make it look like that. Um, but you can kind of get away with it because people understand that you're not really fooling. You're not really trying to fool them. Right. Whereas if you try to sell something as like authentically, like for real, like no, this, these jeans are worn by uh, cosmonauts or something, and they're <laughs> and they're not, then then people get really pissed off. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting as well. Um, can I go back to this enchantment? You can anytime you want, Jerry. So one thing that I that I learned that I liked uh, that helped me is so, as he put it at some point, uh, he says that basically the scientific revolution was the steamroller of Christianity, right? Um, but it's not just that you had uh, Darwin and you know. Uh, uh, What's his face with the Earth around the going around the sun? Uh, <laughs> it's not just that you had Pernicus. Pernicus, thank you. Yeah. It's not just that you had you know, these discoveries disproving, you know, received wisdom about you know the, the the cosmos. It's that it's it was the scientific process itself, right? To, yeah. To establish right, and, and it's that. Uh, by definition, science is scientific discoveries are meant to be improved on, right? So nothing is fixed. You can always replace Newtonian physics with quantum physics. And even then, quantum physics is always subject to revision once we know more, right? So we can't ever say that we've reached final truth. Yeah. And that is the disenchantment. It's yeah. It's, that it's always open to change. Uh, so. Yeah, everything is it's all open ended and everything is open to 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 right. analysis and questioning and the scientific method. There is no absolute, and so we have nostalgia for it. <laughs> exactly. There's another man yeah. said. Yeah. Man once, I really put it um I, I guess and he he uh I, I think he attributes that insight to uh Max Weber. Um and I yeah, I guess I just hadn't thought about it exactly that way. And that was very useful. Yeah, and I mean it uh it goes to conversations we've had with certain possible listeners of, of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, friends, acquaintances, uh, campers, 
<laughs> that uh, it's uh, how do you draw that line, right? Where you uh, you don't poke beyond here, right? Right. That door is closed. You're not allowed to dig any further because it, uh, for lack of a better term, bums you out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you can always just say, like, you know what? We're just not going to do that, and we're not going to think that way, and we're not going to like look into things, or we're not going to look into things in a way that. Um, I disapprove of, but um, it almost seems like cheating right. if you do that. And uh, why do you get to choose the terms right. of uh, you know society, like based on what? Uh, so I think that's a yeah, it's a great insight, and uh, I think it's important to separate out that you know, like the Catholic Church is not fully opposed, like opposed to evolution, right? Uh, which yeah. is like you would think they would be right but in fact it's like crazy like protestant snake charmers in america who are the most anti uh anti-evolution uh a bit of an exaggeration but anyway it's not necessarily like the catholic church won't isn't they are not the ones trying to like ban darwin from from classrooms not anymore not anymore right and not for like a long time not for decades um but you know they didn't stop being catholic <laughs> uh and the whole like you know the earth revolving around the sun not the other way around that didn't stop them either but you know what what ultimately probably will you know what draws people away from it from catholicism if you're kind of a rational mindset is like well wait a minute like you got to keep poking further and further and like that sort of thing like you know make believe stuff can't uh, you can't fight it so uh yeah and i was like oh yeah it's a that's an hmm. interesting point. Um, and then, yeah, the other things in that chapter are, are pretty. Well, actually, I was going to ask, like, what did you think of his, like, uh, he had a section on political liberalism, and he pointed out that you need the state. <clears throat> the state is the thing. Like, the modern state is the thing that makes liberalism possible. Yeah. I wanted to poke at that since you're a, you know, card-carrying libertarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that card is... How's that card? How's that card? Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, faded and and, and uh, uh, what is it like branding? What's the word? Is it bookmarking the last yeah. uh, Ron Paul newsletter you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think what he the point he's making is that liberal, you know, political liberalism uh, is, is the other side of the coin of the state. And these things co-evolved, <clears throat> and you can't have one without the other kind of kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know; that kind of makes sense to me because uh, ultimately, political liberalism needs somebody to protect rights, right? You, you, I mean, it's it's kind of the. Uh, I, mean, I, I think for political liberalism, it, it, implicit in it is constitutionalism, right? And I think constitutionalism requires a state, so. I kind of buy it. Um, but what, what do you think? I think you're a statist. <laughs> <laughs> there. Which is, by the way, which is which is why I've always um, been a minarchist and not an anarchist, right? Sure. Um, and this is why I've always, you know, um, had dorm room arguments with libertarians who are anarchists because it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, it, it makes sense. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what other. Well, I mean, we can get to um, to the real, uh, like, kind of like the final point. So he 
so then so then okay so if authenticity is not real and authenticity and the, the quest for authenticity is essentially a quest for meaning trying to fill that giant hole that modernity has created in the human soul um, and you're not going to fill it with authenticity then what do you do about this hole um, and what do you do if modernity is the cause of that hole well then like what do you do if you can't fill it with authenticity should we get rid of modernity right and he, of course he says no 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 modernity you know is too valuable right we get a lot of benefits that i don't need to outline right now uh from modernity um and so what's his prescription i think his prescription is like incredibly weak um he's just like the, the, yeah. the final like conclusion he, it's basically a conclusion. He kind of touches on it throughout. He touches on it at the, in the introduction and throughout a little bit, but then ultimately, yeah, in the conclusion, he, uh, let me see. Um, I wrote down, it's okay. So here's quoting, uh, uh, recognition, uh, no, uh, embracing liberal democracy in the market economy is positive goods. That means not just conceding that they are necessary evils, but that they are institutions of political and economic organization have their own value structure, their own moral foundations, which represents a positive step away from what they have replaced. So even if it were possible, it would be wrong to turn our backs on the market. I, you know, I can buy it. I can buy that. I can, I'm kind of on board with that. Um, but then he says, but perhaps it is time to rehabilitate the very idea of progress, not the blind conviction that things are getting better all the time, but the simple faith that even when humans encounter obstacles, will figure things out through the exercise of reason, ingenuity, and goodwill. Uh, which, so, I mean, like, yes, I, I, you know, I'm on board. Uh, faith in progress is nothing more and nothing less than faith in humankind. And if there's one thing we ought to be nostalgic for, it is for a time when progress was something that self-described progressives actually believed in. Uh, <clears throat> For too long now, they've been wallowing in an inert philosophy that has done considerable damage to the search for social justice and spiritual comfort, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, uh, like, that's all fine. I would rather <laughs> that progressives would would stop being Greta Thornburgs and would be more um, John F. Kennedys. Um, but that doesn't solve that doesn't solve the hole. <laughs> the hole is still there. I don't. I so I think in, in the end. And he he kind of um, what does he say? Uh, the quest for authenticity is about searching for meaning when all the traditional sources uh, no longer have any sound rational justification. And he talks about how uh, he wants to quote take seriously the desire of authenticity and meaning while recognizing that the modern market economy is not evil and a vibrant and rich source of value we wouldn't want to abandon. So he he's saying i want to reconcile these things but he ultimately doesn't um right i i think he makes a, a good case that um we should recognize that authenticity is a hoax and that we that we shouldn't reject modernity as a result of that realization i'm on board with both of those things but he never figures he never tells me how you find meaning in the world or or or, or ameliorate alienation so that's the next book. That's the next book. Yeah. Well, uh, so funny you should say that. So what's the next book? So in this book, he talks, um, I forget in what chapter it is, um, but he kind of mockingly, mockingly talks about these progressives that he's talking about. And he talks, he says, 
let us call the people who seriously foresee the coming apocalypse declinists. Oh, and right, that's in the beginning. Uh-huh, yeah. and, and their animating philosophy, declinism. What motivates declinism is an attitude so pessimistic that it is almost uh, theological. Not only are things worse than they used to be, but they're getting worse with every passing year. And he goes on. So the, his next book after this, like 10, 20, you know, 10, 15 years after this book, is on decline, where he basically makes a case that things are getting worse all the time. So maybe there, there is an evolution. Maybe he just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to go back and read and, and see if I'm missing something from his other book. But it seems like he gave in there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't remember when that came out. I think it was after Trump. But, you know. Oh, no, no. That, that book came out after the pandemic, right? It was, yeah, the book was spurred right. by the pandemic. So it was very right. recent. Okay. It's like the last year, yeah. Yeah, but, so, yeah. you know, I think you can get kind of caught up. If that is what happened. Uh, yeah. You, can get, you know, it, you might be in the, uh, it's, you know, it's generally going upwards, but you're in the, uh, the down cycle. Probably feels like a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Well, you know, if even if the uh, the the average is going upwards, the you know it's going to go above and below a trend, like you know right. the state of your society. So right. we're we're probably I don't think it's a controversial to say we might be below trend right now. Right. Um, you know, um, dental surgery and uh, <laughs> all the other bullshit that people like to drag out and throw in people's faces, like oh, you want to live in a thousand BC um, with no dental surgery? It's like no, I don't, but. It doesn't get better all the time. Sometimes it gets worse. Hopefully, it picks up again. But um, well, and again, dental surgery cannot fill the giant void of meaning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yes, it's. Uh, but as he points out, it's. A, I mean, and maybe this is what I appreciate most about this book and the other, more of this book than the other. It's like it, there's a trade-off, right? Like basically, it, like the lesson of the book is like stop being a child. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Like, there are trade-offs here. Yeah, it's like they're they're like surprise, surprise. There are trade-offs. Um, like I think he is most explicit in the globalization chapter, mm -hmm. or like the kind of yeah, the global is. I guess it's the cultures for tourists chapter. Yes. Um, I don't know if he cites Tyler Cowen in the in the. Don't believe uh, he does. Okay, but you know Tyler has a whole book about this. Um, about how uh, globalization is going to make every society uh, more heterogeneous, mm -hmm. but every society will become more like uh, societies will become more like each other, right. but you know more diverse within within themselves. So um, that's just that's just a consequence of of globalization, right? And he does not pretend that like there's any way to stop that short of like war or massive government repression, a la like North Korea, mm -hmm. <laughs> to make you live in caves essentially and starve. And um, you get the benefit of not having dental surgery <laughs> <laughs> and no free time because you're probably going to need a super repressive government to keep people from like inventing radio or something. Um, anyway, so. But thought you get the benefit of a uh, total, you know, total uni unifying. Uh, ideology you do get the, the cosmos you yeah. get the cosmos yep uh, and what a what a cosmos it will be with uh, kim kim jong-un as as the sun king at the center i mean emperor <laughs> i would say emperor uh yeah 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 exactly so he points out that yes it's like there are costs to to everything to globalization there was a cost to 
uh, the free market to political liberalism and to disenchantment. But right. you know, at least to him, I mean, yeah, you know, to him, the benefits are way worth the cost. And you know, these things have given us the ability to, you know, try to solve the problems that are created. Uh, it's kind of up to people, us, to to do the best we can. Uh, because I mean, he doesn't say it explicitly, or maybe he does. Like the alternative is getting rid of those things, right? And uh, there's no, there is literally like nobody who has a plan for that. Yeah. Um, outside of like I don't know, Greta, Verm a and, Greta and Adrian Vermeule getting right. together. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. God forbid. Can't <laughs> wait for that that video. Uh, so. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just like kind of refreshing uh, to hear someone who's not like writing for Reason Magazine or something to say like, yeah, there there are trade offs and it was totally worth it. So stop like whining about it. Um, get a job. <laughs> and I guess that's what pisses me off about the progress studies people, right? Or the you know um, libertarian tech utopian, which you know I fully right confess. Yeah, there you go. yeah, I, I fully confess I. Uh, spent a large part of my career and what pisses me off is that they don't um, ever acknowledge the, they, they do the opposite of what you know, the uh, Rousseau does, right? Which is they don't acknowledge the costs, right? Or the trade-off in the other direction, right? They don't acknowledge the, the concept of alienation to them is just like uh, you know, pish posh like invented Mark, you know, all I have to say is oh, that's Marxist you know like okay yeah well i mean you can kind of understand it um it's, it's why they do that well it's a bit of a political yeah. project right so of course yeah be, because politics is what it is if the moment you try to uh introduce nuance um somebody screams that's communism <laughs> yeah <laughs> and moon walks out of the room yeah yeah um but yes you would think intellectuals would be a little bit more uh exactly uh, would have more nuance more more honest yes <laughs> <laughs> more authentic more authentic uh, um, yeah. what what did you think of the uh i mean i don't want to, the uh i don't know the the itunes chapter uh, for lack of a better word the napster chapter uh what about i don't uh, know it was uh, it was kind of the most underwhelming one it yeah. was the one about plagiarism and copyright oh, right. and um there was another topic he was trying to cover there uh yeah he had yeah. a couple of weak chapters in the middle right mm -hmm. like uh, like the yeah, i liked the uh tourism one but you could tell that like he had a very strong beginning and a very strong conclusion and in between he kind of just like had a couple chapters where he like applied the ideas to specific kind of sectors mm -hmm. and yeah and it, they were like okay like so it was politics it was culture it was um i uh, i don't know what the other ones were but anyhow yeah um remind me what his argument was with, with the Napster thing. <laughs> I'm not sure I remember. Yeah. Uh yeah, there was like a lot of stuff about like plagiarism and like what plagiarism is. Uh it was kind of like the art chapter, I guess you would say. Yes. Yeah. Um, which was I think it started off strong. You know, it has the whole like ship of theseus right about like what is you know, what is a thing, like what makes it itself. Or or um, what is a, a real uh shark in a tank? Yeah, what exactly. Is the Damon Hurst thing, yeah. Yeah, the Damien Hurst thing. Yeah, Hurst. <laughs> uh, which one's the demon? Is it Damien? Uh, 
I guess so. I guess all all those come from the same roots. I guess so, yeah. Um, Yeah, it was not memorable, but uh, because I can't remember exactly what was said. Um, Yeah, it was very, uh, it's cute, I would say that, because again, the book is pretty, it's getting up there. And so it's it's talking about the like copy rip and burn culture, and it was like, oh man, well, remember one, that when people one thing, like, burn oh, yeah. CDs. <laughs> yeah. One thing I took, I think, from that chapter is um, how identity politics kind of enters into the authenticity game, and it is that when you have um, the ability, you know, especially once you have the internet, right? But when when you have the ability um, to have uh, basically copies of art at zero marginal cost, um, what makes, you know, an art authentic? And it's not that it is one of a kind in it, you know, as the thing, right? Let's, that's what, like the shark, whatever, is it the same shark piece? <clears throat> it, it's about the author and the author's authentic story. And so a good example of this would be like Andy Warhol. So the whole point of Andy Warhol's art is that he would crank out, you know, he would mass produce the art. Um, But what you get from it is is the Andy Warhol story. Like that's what matters to it, right? So it's, uh, and if that's the case, then you need to have, then basically the artist can only do art that is authentic to him and his story. And so if you keep, you know, uh, pulling on that thread, um, you get to the kind of the appropriation stuff, right? So um, you can only be authentic if you make art within your sto- within your own story and your own origins. And so that becomes about race and about identity and about biography. Um, you know, authenticity, authenticity does when it when it, when it gets to you know to art and stuff like that. So, yeah, he anyhow. starts he starts the chapter off, I think, with Avril Lavigne. Uh, yeah, that's right. For for the kids out there, she was a singer <laughs> <laughs> who talked about a skater boy, right? And yeah. uh, like she had a certain appearance, right? She had a brand, as we would say now, and people weren't too concerned that she obviously like wasn't writing her own music because nobody does. Right. But people were very pissed off when it came out that she might not know how to write a skateboard. Right. Right. Because, you know, she didn't, she doesn't write the music. She doesn't perform the music live right, only, right? It's sold on CDs and, and on iTunes and whatever else. So what are, what are you selling? The authenticity that she's a skater girl. And like, when you fake that, that it just completely ruins everything. So, yeah. I mean, again, that chapter started off strong. I think it was, there was interesting stuff about like, uh, what makes something art nowadays, right? He talks about Walter Benjamin. And again, I can't follow half of that stuff right. because it all seems made up um, and not in a good way. But, you know, it's it, it, it like Andy Warhol, like you said, he there are people that like mass produce art, quote art, right? And if, if they mass produce it, it sells for a million dollars. If some guy does it as in garage, it's like he gets sued or something, uh, even though it's the exact same thing. Um, and so like, what's the difference? I think he does a good job explaining that. Like it makes you, there are, like, there's like bronze sculptures, right? That somebody made multiple copies of. Like, I think the thinker or the, like the burgers of Calais, like there are multiple copies of those bronzes mm-hmm. out there because, you know, you can do that. 
right? Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily like carved by hand. Um, you have a mold and you can make the bronzes, but you know, it matters that it was like Rodan who did it and not me, uh, right. even though like I could pr presumably make an exact copy. Um, it yeah. wouldn't matter that like nobody would buy mine, even though, well, there's already like 20 of these out there. Well, he talks um, about this, um, this artist who would not get, um, you know, it was, wasn't taken seriously. Uh, whatever, like his art was not judged to be good enough to hang in galleries. Right. And so he started forging, um, what were they? Uh, Vermeers? So he, yeah. So he's this Dutch painter who loved like the old, he loved like Vermeer and that type of that style of painting, but it was so, it was basically uncool at the time. Right. So everyone said, you're a terrible painter. It's very, it's basically like, oh, it's derivative. Uh, it's not right. interesting. It's not cubist. So it's as revenge, he became such a good painter that he fooled everyone into uh, buying his forgeries and Vermeers. I looked him up. And by, and by the way, not, not forgeries. Uh, these were new paintings that were passed as original Vermeers. Oh, right. Yes, because apparently Vermeer was just coming to light. This was in the 20s, right. and 30s, and 40s. Yeah. People weren't, people didn't know what was out there. Right. So he was able to, I don't know. I mean, I guess he worked with like corrupt dealers, but uh, I looked him up. He made hundreds, well, I, <laughs> I guess in today's money, tens, if not millions of dollars doing this right. and bought like villas in Amsterdam. And apparently he sold, he traded what he knew to be a forgery, but everyone thought was a real Vermeer to Hermann Goering <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> for like hundreds of pieces of essentially looted art. So he gave him a fake Vermeer and Hermann Goering gave to him or to the Netherlands, uh, occupied Netherlands, like hundreds of pieces of art that had been looted. And he went on trial for this, obviously. And then that's why he admitted that it was fake. Right. Because otherwise he probably would have been like executed for, you know, uh, for trading for priceless. cultural, yeah. yeah, for like cultural treason. Uh, so that's when he came to light and apparently no one believed him. So in prison, in front of everyone, he like painted a Vermeer masterwork to show that like, no, I, I, I am a master forger or hoaxer or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I sold him fake Vermeer. Uh, but apparently he like died of a heart attack. So <laughs> it's unclear if like what would have happened. Uh, but yeah, he was like incredibly, and, and, incredibly yeah. wealthy. <laughs> and so the revenge here is, is that um, he, his, the point he ultimately made is my, you know, uh, my art is as good as the real thing, but society wouldn't judge it because it wasn't it wasn't a Vermeer. <laughs> right. So it is worth less. Um, uh, and that sh that makes no sense. If it, you know, it, if you were lauding it and putting it up in the National Museum yesterday, and then today it is a worthless piece of junk, well then <laughs> what exactly is it that you're valuing here, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, by the way, can I just say that I just Googled Avril Lavigne Yes. While, while you were talking, and I got this just the, one of the top things from the Independent. Uh, Avril Lavigne responds to rumors she died and was replaced by body double named Melissa. <laughs> when was this from? She called the rumor, quote, dumb, and quote, so weird. Well, that's exactly what Melissa was saying. So. <laughs> uh, Checkmate. February 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the before times. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. So, but so this might be me being slightly dimwitted and just not grokking it. 
it, like you said, at, at the end of the day, it's like, so what is to be done, right? right. Um, so, I don't think there's anything to be done. Yeah, so like status competition is just going to happen unless people become like super, uh, I know, saints, right? You have to be a saint to not engage in like, well, Veblen, uh, like, auth like status competition. Yeah, okay, go on. Uh, um, I guess it's possible to move away from trying to do it through authenticity, which seems to be like a particularly like poisonous form of status competition. We should all go back to like learning ancient Greek or Hebrew or something, uh -huh. maybe something that's at least kind of useful. Um, you can make discoveries and things. <laughs> um, so that's just not going away. Um, so what are we supposed to do about it all? Like right. so with, well, with art, like specifically with, like with art. So like, so is it just kind of like stupids, like chasing a hoax all the way down and that's what drives everything? What do you or, mean? With with ours so like why should we care that it, this is uh like an authentic what have you and not just a copy oh i think increasingly we don't and okay I, think, I mean maybe that's the answer i think increasingly okay. <laughs> that's just so think about um what passes for pop art today right which is just all meme um culture we don't even do you know the providence of wojak i mean I'm, you might be able to find it but there's so much so much of what we share you know, uh, we have no idea it's providence, and we don't care. It's just, yeah. And I think that's part of the um, the, the fizzling out of cool. Right, but I, I don't know. Like with art, is it like like art? Art? Oh, so I mean, it's like, like like real art, like real art. Not Wojak and Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So um, why bother the going fine art? To, yeah, fine so art. Why, yeah, yeah. Why bother going to like Florence to look at the David as when you can just I don't know, go to the, the, the Raleigh Museum of Art and they just got a copy. They use the best, I, like, there's I a guy. We don't. I think increasingly yeah. we don't. And the only people who care about that are, are um, uh, very rich people who are on that status treadmill, right? Okay. It's like, it, it, I, I think he, he says this, right? Uh, he quotes somebody in that chapter about Damien Hirsch. Um, that basically the if you are a billionaire the greatest return on investment as far as status goes that you can make is fine art because like anybody can buy a lamborghini uh but to have this damien hirsch is you know just like that's all it is like so are we gonna see a, a youtube video of ty lopez with a with the nah, with the <laughs> he, he he drove his Lamborghinis into a canyon and just bought fine art instead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm because I'm you know uh, a human being who grows up in a certain time. It kind of like bums me out, but I guess I just have to grow up and get over it. That like we're okay listening to recorded music. Y you know, that's fine. But why do people? necessarily have to see the original like what are they commuting with exactly and it, the answer could be like you're just confused um so maybe that's the answer <laughs> yeah okay. i think that's right i i think but i think you have to get to a appropriate level of reproduction for that to be true right sure and i think we are kind of there um but i know i think i think you go see the david because there aren't any reproduction i mean you can look up a picture of the david um on on google images um but it's not going to be right that's why you go is because you, you still cannot 
replicate the but once we get a fully immersive metaverse oh god um which but is around the corner then but yeah then, but there are no legs the legs are important oh the legs <laughs> that's right um uh, when i did see the david because i'm a cultured person yeah um <clears throat> you know it's in it's in like a very small little it's like a former church museum yeah. uh you can walk 360 around it and there's right. all these middle-aged women sitting right behind <laughs> looking at <laughs> looking at his butt yeah right it's a nice butt uh, <laughs> well i can imagine like you just have to scan it right with some yeah. sort of thing and it'll one of the maker machines will spit out uh, a thing oh sure you, and especially like most normal people can't tell the difference in fact that there's a plaza a piazza uh with all of these statues in front of the Uffizi in Florence, but they're not originals. So you don't have to make the line and you can just see it, yeah. Well, they're not just that, but it's like- you buy it. we, <laughs> No, 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 it's like, it's like if we left the originals out, they would be ruined by weather uh, and time and like pigeons and people poking at them. So these these sculptures or yeah, they're, yeah, they're sculptures. Um, it, it's like, you know, Jupiter and Titan. It's, 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 you know, actual stuff. They're copies of, what was originally out there. And I'm not sure where the originals are. They might be in the basement or something, but I don't know how many people realize that like that thing you're taking a picture with was like made 50 years ago because <laughs> it's too risky to leave the original out. Right. In, and the original has to be in a hyperbaric chamber in the dark in the basement. Yeah. It's next to the because we had to protect it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, only, uh, uh, only Sam Bankman-Fried can see it. That's right. Yeah. It's <laughs> have I dated the episode? Oh no. no. Um. Yeah. So anyhow, so I thought when you were asking about what is to be done, I thought you were asking what is to be done about the whole. And so if I can take a stab, uh, and it, I feel like this is just like like we should rename WAP to like search for meaning in, or, or uh, search for meaning after modernity or something like that. It rolls um, off the tongue, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I I, I I think it's right. I think it's a, there's a trade-off. I don't, I think this is just a cost and there's no, um, there's no fixing it, right? Um, you can't fill the hole. All you can do is cope with the hole um, is, all you can do is palliative, I think. I hope I'm wrong, but I, 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 so far that's that's the conclusion I'm coming to. And I think it's all all you can do is kind of um, it's not just try to find sort you know sources of meaning and uh, like make your own meaning. I think that's part of it. But part of the problem with that is that inevitably you find yourself making meaning through status competition, even when you're trying not to. You find yourself back in, on that treadmill. Um, so I think it is, it, 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 I know you're going to shoot me, but I think it has to do with, um, trying to dissolve the self, trying to, trying to recognize that there is no self, um, uh, through meditation and whatnot. Uh, I think that's part of it, but maybe this is all just insane, um, fat, faddishness that I'm engaged in. Um, but I, I think it, 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 you just have to learn to cope and, uh and i and i think people are coming to that realization which is why things like meditation and stoicism have become uh the fads that they've become uh because maybe they're working for some people 
yeah. what do you what do you think about that? Am I am I exposing myself? Am I I'm being a little vulnerable here by saying that because that is very uncool for me, of me to say. Yeah, I mean, you're a loser. Yeah, uh, I'm making fun of you. I'm calling <laughs> you all sorts of names that you you used to be able to say, but now would get you canceled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you know what they are. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that if that works for people, then 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 seems, yeah. seems harmless. Um, that's yeah. right, but, it might, but but here's the thing, right? Is if it's not universal, like I guess I guess um, there's something I, I haven't, haven't thought about this, but there's something unsettling about being told, "Well, if that works for you, um, then that's yeah. great," but it's not going to work for everybody, and sure. because because then the thing isn't really real. Like it has to be universal for the thing to be real, right? There has to be. It, it's kind of again the search for the absolute. You're looking for an absolute answer you want to know you have the solution <laughs> right i mean and it could just take a long time of, of people yeah. and humanity and whatever uh kind of scrambling around and if we don't blow ourselves up or poison ourselves or like a meteorite comes and makes us go splat maybe there will be a, a solution um you know i i don't think we've uh figured it all out in the yeah. year 2022 so you know i guess it's possible that a smarter person will appear to kind of to solve that riddle uh, not i'm not sure but uh yeah but yeah, it's possible yeah i mean i guess that's that is the thing right if it's not like there have always been things that work for you right right and uh, that doesn't really solve the answer of like filling the uh filling the, the disenchantment right that hole uh, as you call it like that that's not a cosmos that's as our good friend john gray would say like that's pro pluralism yeah like, oh yeah meditation works for you you're going to be catholic you're unitarian yeah and i guess the, the whole the whole is always there it's just that people had different ways of uh, avoiding seeing it yeah and i'm you know I, i'd love to learn more because like i'm not that convinced that like it was all you know everything in its place right we, yeah, you just yeah. couldn't. You just couldn't say anything. Yeah, like, that is interesting. I, I wonder, right? Because it, the way he, even Potter paints it, um, everybody knew their place, and they didn't question it, and they found meaning in uh, conforming to uh, the role that they had been assigned. And you're right. Like that doesn't sound. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's because we are liberal individualists, um, but it doesn't sound like how I would approach life if it had been born in that in that time and place but maybe i would i don't know how was it really I yeah. yeah well I have no idea. we can we can read read the joe heinrich book about weird uh oh right right yeah i mean uh, you know to me it's like th those systems like those religions uh, superstitions and things they fill they they match like a folk psychology very well right because you you think that the rocks are alive and that there's, you know, like you can't possibly really die. Like you're just going to go somewhere else, right? You can't wrap your mind around not existing right. anymore. So things like Christianity down to, you know, the Greek gods or whatever, like it gives you the hope that this is not the end or something like that. So uh, it, it seems pretty, I don't know, it seems easy enough for me to think like, well, yeah, that's very comforting. Sure, but if you were born a slave, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, well, one, you're not allowed to like do anything about it, right? So we don't necessarily hear from those people. No, but uh, I right, right. But I wonder if there's been some scholarship about 
like what life was really like and what these people were really thinking. Yeah. Were they all like, well, you know, this is my lot in life and that's fine. Like it, were, it never occurred to them to think otherwise, you know, so anyhow, whatever. We're yeah. getting far field. Stably, uh, next time. Next time. Oh, by the way, will you recommend this book? Oh, yes. yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next time, we are discussing your pick, uh, Western Self-Contempt, Oikophobia in the Decline of Civilizations by Benedict Beckold. Yep. <laughs> uh, Never heard of the guy. I think this just pops up in my Amazon, uh, you know, recommendations. But um, it looked interesting, and I think Oikophobia is uh, an important social phenomena going on uh right now just that's, a word a proper grammar yeah a word coined by um what's his face well yeah it's not such an old term necessarily no but it's it's uh it's a word that was coined by roger scruton oh was it okay yeah. all right was, does it yeah. i think he mentions it in this book potter might have even mentioned does it. he maybe no no I... oh maybe it's the amazon description <laughs> <laughs> yeah all, All right. right. All right, Mr. Sabley. I'll see you next time. All right, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.